Hey guys, it's Scott. I just want to thank you for tuning into the Blue Ridge Church podcast. You know, I hope this is encouraging to you. I hope it's inspiring to you. And I pray most of all, it's going to help you on your faith journey. So enjoy today. Happy Mother's Day. Thank you guys so much for being here. and Welcome to Blue Ridge Church. A special welcome to you mothers or soon-to-be mothers. Uh, we just really appreciate that you spent your special day here with us at Blue Ridge. And so uh, at the end of the service, we've got a little special something for you. Uh, hopefully your children get it to you in one piece. Uh, but just a way for us to appreciate you and say we thank you so much for everything you do. And, you know, moms, they, moms sacrifice a lot, right? If you're a mom, you know you sacrifice a lot. Sometimes it's harder for non-moms to see, people like me. Uh, but moms do a lot more than just parent. And, and we just want to say we appreciate you so much for everything you do, the things that we watch you do and the things that we don't even get to see you do behind the scenes. My dad always used to say this about my mom, is that nothing in life is ever truly lost until your mom can't find it, right? Like moms are special. Like there's something special about moms. And so we just, again, thank you so much for being here. But we want to welcome everyone here to Blue Ridge Church. We're in this series right now on faith called Faith Works. And what we're talking about is how faith works. And we've looked at a few different things that, um, things like temptation and anger and how God gives us the faith to not just conquer those things, but to have the strength to overcome a lot of those difficult areas in our lives. And so this morning we're going to continue in that and we're going to talk about how our faith works to bring us emotional balance in our lives. And what I'm actually going to do is going to do this for a two-week series, two-week mini-series, I guess, about emotional health. Uh, because I think it's something that's really important for all of us. You know, sometimes emotional health and mental health, that can be those buzzwords that we hear in culture, and, and sometimes it could just go right over our heads because we really don't understand really what it is, but also how it connects to our faith and how it's so important for us as those of you who are Christians to be aware and conscious of how important your emotional health is to your spiritual health. And so um, for the next two weeks, we're going to talk a lot about this. We're going to build a foundation and talk about what it is, what it's not, uh, really how it applies to our faith and how it comes up and really is a partner with our spiritual health to make us into the people who God wants us to be. And then we're going to talk about a lot more of the practical things as well and how to actually prepare ourselves for that emotional health next week. Um, But I think it's really important to to set the baseline of what we're not talking about first, uh, because... We're not going to be talking about things like mental illnesses or mental disorders or emotional disorders. Uh, We believe those things are more suited for a much different conversation than on a Sunday morning from up front. And so what we're going to do is take more of an overarching uh, kind of a, a, a foundational approach to how we can approach our emotional health by using the faith that God gives us to become the people like Justin just prayed that he wants us to be. And so if you were to look at what emotional health actually is, you know, if you go online or you know, talk to a doctor, they might give you different answers, but generally speaking, it revolves around very similar uh, characteristics, and there's very similar indicators across the board as to defining emotional health and really finding out where you are on that emotional health spectrum. Uh, the first thing that you'll find out is it's by answering the question and understanding your sense of purpose. That's the first big indicator that we have that defines and really shows us where we are in our emotional well-being. And so that's the question of why am I here or what am I doing here? What's the purpose of my life? What's the purpose of of human beings on this planet? The second thing is your significance and your meaning. So not just what you're doing here, but the why behind what you're doing. 
Or like, why are you alive? Why are you living your life? What's the meaning that you as an individual have in life? And then the third one is your source of contentment. And really that's just a way of saying what makes you happy. You know, what are the things that bring you joy? What are the things that bring you contentment? What are the things that uh, fill you up? What are the things that bring you satisfaction in life that you're yearning after? And, and then really when you look at all three of these different factors and indicators, it will be a really good way to figure out where you are on that spectrum of whether you're emotionally healthy uh, where, or whether you need to work on some of those things and determine some of those things. Um, and so uh, really what we're going to talk about this morning is how God gives us meaning and how God gives us purpose and how God gives us contentment. Because really that's, when we look at it, that's the truth, right? Is, is that as Christians, what we believe is that all of those things that we just talked about are things that God provides, right? That if you're a follower of Christ, the meaning of your life is supposed to come from God. The purpose of your life is supposed to come from God. And the joy and the contentment that you find is supposed to be, again, from God. Here's what Psalm chapter 145, verse 16 says. You satisfy the hunger and thirst of every living thing. Everything we want, everything we desire, everything we need, it comes from God. And that's sort of the spoiler to the talk this morning and for next week, is that God is the answer to the questions that our emotional health is asking. And what you'll find out, and what I think we're going to find out over the next two weeks, is that your emotional health and your spiritual health are one and the same. It's kind of like different sides of the same coin, whereas it's, it's really difficult to be emotionally healthy unless you're spiritually healthy. And it's also really hard to be spiritually healthy unless you're emotionally healthy. And so what we're going to see here is that it's really difficult and, and debatably impossible to find joy, happiness, meaning, and purpose away from God and apart from God. That's not to say if you're here and you don't have a relationship with God that you can't find meaning and purpose in your life. It's not to say that you can't experience joy. It's not to say that you can't be happy and, and do things in life that are fulfilling. That's not what I'm saying. But when I look at the Bible and when I look at my own life experience and the experience of so many of you that I've gotten the chance to meet over the last couple of years, it's really hard to separate your emotional and spiritual health from, from understanding and knowing that God is the source of all of it. That at the end of the day, all of the most important things in our lives come from God. And so part of my story as become, of becoming a Christian actually involves some of the realizations that I, that I came to uh, when it comes to my emotional health and the meaning and purpose of my life. Uh, so when I was in college, before I was a Christian, I went through a, a, a short period of time, probably one or two years of my life, where I just didn't believe God existed. Right? I, just, you know, I grew up with some sort of faith. You know, I grew up and, and got drugged to church for 16 years. And um, you know, when I, it was time for me to own it and figure out what I actually believed about God, I just sort of came to the conclusion that I didn't believe that God was there, that that there really wasn't a God, that it was all just made up to make us feel good and, and you know, whatever else I believed at the time. But, um, but, but what I really had, and, and I wasn't like proclaiming it from the rooftops and, you know, I was, wasn't proud to be an atheist, but I definitely had like an atheistic worldview. Uh, and, and anyone who here, if, if you are an atheist or you've been an atheist, you're really going to resonate with what I say next because there's certain things, if you've got an atheistic worldview, that you've got to come to terms with. 
you've sort of just got to accept these things as, as they are in life. And the first one is that any kind of joy or happiness has got to be found right now. Like, if you don't believe there's anything after this, if, if once you live your life, once you die, nothing happens and that's it, then it makes sense, right? If you want to be happy, if you want to find joy and have contentment, then you've got to do things in your life that bring it to you right now. You can't do things that will make you happy and bring you joy and fulfillment after life because you don't believe it exists, then this is all we've got. And so that's the first reality that you've got to really, you know, come to terms with. The second one is that life doesn't have any true, concrete, underlying meaning and purpose. Again, not to say that you can't have meaning and find meaning or purpose in certain things, right? Because we still have responsibilities in life. And so if this is the worldview you have, then you are pretty much left with finding meaning and purpose in those responsibilities. Things like having a family, uh, things like your career. We find purpose in what we do. Uh, you can find purpose in where you are on the spectrum of, you know, whether you're rich or whether you're popular or whether you're famous or in an influencer or someone who is important and has specific responsibilities in your life, uh, which again, makes sense, right? Because if there is no God, if there is nothing after this, then you've got to find meaning and purpose in what you do on a day-to-day basis, which sounds fine and it makes sense until you come to the realization that life is unavoidably painful and unfair and there's heartbreak and there's moments where we go through sometimes longer than we'd like to where we're left in a place of despair and don't know what to make of who we are and what we're doing here. See, what I realized at the time was that there was a lot of things that I was doing in my life to avoid thinking about the inevitable. That one day this is all going to be over and, and, and it's, on, it's over. Right? And so I had to come to terms with that and, and that led to me going down an emotional uh, roller coaster where I would have considered myself at the time to be emotionally unstable because I couldn't find meaning and I couldn't find purpose and I couldn't find a true sense of joy or contentment in my life. And when those difficult moments came up and, and I went through those difficult moments and those painful moments in my life, it was harder for me to find a reason to keep going. Right? Because if, 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 if it's all over, when my life is over, then, then a lot of us probably have asked the same question, what am I doing fighting so hard and trying so hard to keep going and just breaking my back through life when in the end it doesn't even matter anyways? And so that sent me on a journey to really find out what my true meaning and true purpose in life was. And what I found that I was doing and what I think so many of us end up doing throughout our lives is we find things to distract ourselves from facing the reality of our meaning and purpose. All right, I thought about it this week is that we have trouble filling the gaps in our lives. And a gap, a good example of a gap would be is the moments in your life when you uh, when you have nothing really to do, right? You know, sometimes we go through our lives, we keep ourselves busy with our careers, you know, from the moment we wake up to the moment we go to sleep, we just keep ourselves busy so we don't have to think about certain things. Uh, others of us are, you know, we're obsessed with social media or obsessed with, you know, uh, things on our phones or our computers to, that distract us from having to think about some of the most important things in our lives. And so what I realized was I had trouble living in the gaps. Like, like in the moments where, uh, from when I would put my head down to go to sleep until the moment I fell asleep, where there was nothing that could keep me distracted from thinking about those things of what happens when I die, what's it going to be like, what am I doing here on this earth, is anything I'm doing making a difference, do I have a purpose, do I have 
anything that's truly bringing me lasting joy in life. And what I want us to understand is how important our meaning and purpose is to not only our emotional well-being, but our spiritual well-being. See, I don't, I don't want to make this talk about me trying to prove to you God exists, because that's really not what the, t- the point of this talk is, but I wanted to start there because I wanted us to understand and see how important your worldview is of what your meaning and purpose in your life is as it relates to your emotional and spiritual health. And again, those things are so interconnected that when we go to look at what the Bible says about how we're supposed to live and what the purposes of our lives are, a lot of that stuff will start to make sense and give us true meaning and true purpose to keep going in our lives. And so if you want to take notes this morning, which I encourage everyone to do, you can open up that Church Center app or scan that QR code in front of you, and you can tap this to fill in the first learning for learning number one. Faith works by giving us a purpose for living. And I think part of growing up, not even just in in our spiritual world, but part of growing up in general is learning how and why things work the way they do. Right? So if you can remember back to when you were a kid, there's usually typically a lot of curiosity. Or if you have kids, it's always a great reminder of what it was like to be a kid because you, for better or for worse, you get to see yourself in those kids. Right? And you start to see some of the things that they're doing, and you're just like, why are they, doing, why are they acting this way? And then you find out it's because that's how you act. Right? Um, but it's important right, to understand that because life is about growing, and life is about discovering, and life is about you know, expanding what we believe and expanding what is true and searching for that true meaning and true purpose in life. And, and when you come at it from a Christian worldview, which I hold and what I know a lot of you hold, you've got to go back to the very beginning of the Bible to see where God created humanity and to see why he actually did it. Because he tells us why he did it. Some of us really don't really understand it because um, it, it can be sort of confusing, you know, how many years removed from when it was written. But there's actually a really great uh, way that we can see and, and view from God's perspective of why he created us in the first place. And it's in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. This is God speaking, and he says, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They'll reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on earth. So be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. And so right off the bat, he says this, that this is our starting point, that this is the proof that we are not just another part of creation. We're not just, you know, one of the days that God created things, that he created the animals and then the plants and then humans and then he rested, right? That there was specific purpose, specific intention as to why God created us. And he's the first indication he says is because we were created in God's image, right? That verse 26, which basically means that we were created in order to be a reflection of God. This is a great example. You know, this didn't really work out the first service because I think I had a user error, but um, my kids, my two oldest kids, have been obsessed with these cameras since, I don't know if they, they played with them at church or they saw them on TV or something. But there are these little cameras that if you, if you know what these are, I mean, I'm going to try to... Okay, uh, they're sort of like the Polaroid cameras that we used to have like 15, 20 years ago, you know, when you, you'd crank it and then you'd have film in there and then you'd take the picture. And, and so we got these for my kids because they were just absolutely obsessed with them. And, and so we put them in their Easter baskets and when they got them, it was like the best thing in the world. They were so happy. And so they went to go take pictures 
And within about 13 seconds, all of the film was gone, <laughs> right? Because you only get limited amounts, right? It's not like a digital camera and you can keep going and going and going for thousands of pictures. Uh, there's like 10 in every cartridge of, of the camera film. And so most of the pictures came out and they were pictures of the floor, pictures of the walls, pictures of the table, just really nothing of substance at all. And they got really bummed out. They're like, oh my gosh, this is, why, why can't I take pictures anymore? And so Wyatt, my oldest, wanted to know how it worked and why he couldn't take the pictures anymore. And so I went to Google and tried to figure out exactly how these types of cameras work. Now, the way they work, there's a lot going on, but the way they work is that there's a mirror inside of all these cameras. And so what happens is, is when you take a picture, this shutter on the front, it's kind of like a little gate, it opens and closes at a fraction of a second, like as quick as like one four hundredth of a second. And in that extremely short period of time, it cap the camera captures light in a pattern of whatever you're trying to capture and hits the mirror and then reflects off that mirror into the film. All right, so I'm going to take a selfie because apparently I didn't realize this is actually a selfie camera and it didn't work for me the first time. But remember this. So once you take the picture, it hits the mirror, reflects it, and then it, and it comes out on this, this weird-looking paper, right? And what do you do? you got to shake it, Right? It's like the old school way to do it. You have to shake it before or to make it, you know, develop quicker. And, and if you didn't shake it right, it would come all blurry and everything. But, but that's kind of how these cameras work. And I thought, what a great illustration about the purpose and meaning that we have in our lives. That we were created to be a reflection of God. Right? And so, like a camera tries to capture something and then reflect it onto film, the Bible's teaching us that we were created to capture who God is the love of God, the grace of God, the kindness of God, the patience of God, the holiness of God, to capture that and reflect it back to him, but also to the world around us. So right from the beginning, from day one, God says, this is your purpose. This is the reason why I created you, to be a reflection of who I am to, to not only back to me, but to the world around you, the people and the relationships you have around you. Now, the problem is that we don't naturally know who God is without going to the source of who God is, right? Like, we're not born with the knowledge of exactly who God is, and we'll talk about why in just a few minutes, but, but we've got to understand and we've got to learn and commit to learning who God is and make it a priority in our lives to fill our souls with what we need in order to know and understand who God actually is. Which leads me to learning number two, I have to feed my soul with God's wisdom. You know, as we you know, progress in science and you know, uh, learning about the human mind and all these different things, one of the things we find out is one of the most important things that we can do when it comes to emotional and physical health, is by guarding what we put into our bodies, right? And so if you go to any website about you know, mental well-being or emotional well-being, you're probably going to find out a lot of preventative things that you can do, things like eating healthy, right? Make sure that what you're eating is providing all the necessary nutrients and the vitamins that you need in order to survive and function the way that God created your body to survive and function, right? Um, other things you'll see is to drink enough water, uh, you'll, you'll find things like uh, avoid abusing drugs and alcohol. You'll find certain things that aren't necessarily what we consume, but things like getting enough sleep and making sure we're getting regular exercise. 
but what we're learning is that our emotional well-being has a lot to do with what we put into or don't put into our bodies, right? And, and there's a balance, right? You know, I'm not saying that you know, a glass of wine is going to throw you into an emotional tailspin in your life, uh, but there's, there's balance. There's things that we need to do in, in moderation that, where they don't become problems in our lives, like for food, right? Chick-fil-A, that's good for the soul, right? Just not every day. <laughs> like, like we've got to be cautious of not doing those things every day to, to feed ourselves in such a way to where it's providing nutrition and, and setting us up for success, which should be no surprise that when we look at the Bible, we see that one of the most important things that we can do for our spiritual health is by feeding our souls with God's word. Here's what Matthew chapter 4, verse 4 said, says. This is Jesus speaking to the people. He says, do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. In other words, what he's saying is you need to be consuming God's word like nutrition to your body. That the source of your life, the source of your spiritual health comes down to you filling up your life, filling up your soul with God's word. He's not saying this literally, which I, I feel like I need to say because there are people who, who take this literally and actually try to eat the pages of their Bible, which is, you know, emotional health. We could have a different conversation. But what he's getting to is the symbolism, right? Is the consuming the word, right? You're not just eating it, you're consuming it. It's becoming a part of who you are. It's giving you strength. It's the fuel in your life that gives you the strength to keep going in your life as you go throughout your life. Here's what the Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 17 about the word. It says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God, right? So faith comes from the word of God. Like we just sung about that third song of God, give me faith, the faith to believe. And it's not just a one and done thing. When you become a Christian, you get faith from God, but we need to be continually refilling ourselves with the word to keep strengthening and refueling and refilling the faith that he gives to us. James chapter 1 verse 21 says this, so get rid of all the filth and the evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted into your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. When I think about that, it says the word of God has the power to save our soul. Like there's power in the word. This isn't just words on the page. It isn't just stories about who God is or who Jesus is. It's not just history it's not just songs. It's got power in it, the power to do things in our lives that we, never can th we could never think about it doing. I love this. Phrase. I love how this James 1 says this. And as I was preparing for this talk, I try to get to, you know, I always try to, when I ever share verses, I always want to know what they meant in the original context because I think that's really important to understand uh, in the present of what God was intending when, he, when we, he wrote this or when James wrote it. And this verse is really interesting because one of the words uh, for humbly, you know, so get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word. Uh, it, this is an interesting word because in the original language, which was Greek, there's actually no equivalent English word to describe what that meant. Right, so some of your versions probably say gentle. Some of the other ones will say humbly. Uh, other versions will use different variations of, of that word, but there's really true, truly no equivalent meaning in the English language that James was writing in when he first wrote this. And I love this because Aristotle, uh, remember back in philosophy, he, he read this and he, he tried to de determine what this word meant. And what he came up with is that it's the perfect balance between, between excessive anger and excessive angerlessness. 
which is basically saying it's the perfect balance between over-emotional and, and the absence of emotion, right? Like the stoic people, people who don't have emotion, who don't think emotion is something that God gives us. He's saying it's right in the middle. It's the balance. And I thought that was so cool because that's emotional health, isn't it? It's balance. It's balance in our lives that we're not overly emotional, we're not underly emotional, but we're right where God wants us to be in that spot where we find balance in our lives. And it's great because what he's saying here is that the word of God brings balance to our lives. That when we consume the word, when we read it, when we commit to routinely getting ourselves into God's word and learning about who he is and letting it reshape and shape our lives, that we're actually bringing not just emotional balance, but spiritual balance to who we are, which in turn will give us that meaning and purpose and fulfillment that we all seek. It gives us the strength to find the strength when we go through those hard things. It gives us the ability to start off our days in a way that glorifies God and sets us up to be constantly thinking about and dwelling on the things that God teaches. It gives us the strength and the ability to cope with, which is emotional health, the ability to cope with things that stress us out, like when we break up with someone who we love, or maybe when we get passed over for a promotion at at work, or when something happens to someone we love and we feel like life is unfair, it gives us the strength to cope. It gives us strength, like we talked about last week, when we feel angry about something, that we don't just, you know, go off the rails and lose it, but we have that balance in our lives because of the commitment we have of learning about God, and committing ourselves to refilling our souls with his word. Here's what Psalm 119 says in verse 147. The psalmist says, I rise early before the sun is up. I cry out for help and put my hope in your words. David's saying, every day I start out my day with you. I cry out for help. I cry out for you, for your love, for everything you can give to me and help me through as I go throughout my life. And he says, I put my hope in in your words. Every single day, I put my hope in your words. You know, we're going to talk a lot next week about some of the practical things we can do, like right now, to help us balance our emotional health and spiritual health. But I think one of the most important things we can do right now is by committing to getting in the Word every single day. I know, like, for some of you, that's like, that's that's a lot, which, which I get, I understand. Maybe you start a little slower than other people, but that's fine. But committing ourselves of getting in God's word on a regular basis when we start off our days. Now, I'm not saying you've got to get up like this verse says before the sun comes out. I don't want to put that pressure on you. But to get in a healthy routine of feeding our souls what they're craving. Just like our physical bodies. We need to be doing that. Even more so with our soul, with our spiritual bodies, the way God created us to be. And then again, in turn, helps us find that meaning and purpose. And so if we do those two things, if we, once we realize that our faith works to give us purpose, and then as we cultivate routines in our lives that help us feed our soul and refuel every single day to understanding who God is so that we can accurately reflect who he is, then here's what we find out. It's learning number three, that faith works by showing us that we are truly unique. See, I think the purpose is really important, and I think, you know, the ways we get there is really important, but when we when it really comes down to it, many of us, if not all of us in this room or watching online, we all want to find meaning. Not just what am I doing here, but why am I doing here, <laughs> right? Of why am I doing what I'm doing? Of what is, what is the meaning behind my life? How do I as an individual 
fulfill the purposes and the meanings that God has placed in my life. Psalm 139 says this, but I want you to notice how individual David is speaking this. He says, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before even one of them came to be. Like, notice how personal that is. David isn't just saying, you created all of us, and, and you knew all of us before we were made, which is true, but, but feel how personal he is. He's saying things like, you made me. You knit me together. You ordained the days of my life. Right? We need to understand that faith is extremely personal to each one of us. Then when it comes to learning what our purpose and, and meaning in life is and where we find contentment, we've got to understand that, that our faith is extremely personal to each one of us. Here's what uh, God says in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. He says, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. So not only does God set us apart, but he gives us purpose. He gives us meaning. He gives us a reason to live. Now, there is a, a giant problem that I kind of skipped over intentionally um, because when it comes to our meaning and purpose, you know, we just talked about of reflecting who God is by discovering who God is and reflecting who God is, there's one huge problem and that it's impossible to do that apart from a relationship with God. That knowing our true purpose and fulfilling our true purpose and meaning is impossible to do it the way God designed it to be without first having a relationship with him. And the reason that is, is because shortly after God created humanity, when we just read in Genesis chapter 1, by the third chapter of the Bible, humans messed it up. <laughs> Right? The Bible teaches us that sin came into the world, and one of the results and consequences of sin is that it broke the relationship that we have with God, which means that it broke the meaning and it broke the purpose that we have as we go throughout our lives apart from God. And so it literally became a great way to just keep going with this illustration is sin literally broke the mirror. Sin broke the mirror in the camera, and so instead of being able to capture who God is and accurately reflect it to the world around us, it became a ripped up and fragmented version of what God originally intended. And so when we go to look for meaning, what we see isn't what God intended. Instead, what we see is brokenness. We see heartbreak. We see depression. We see anxiety, we see all of the wrong things because when we try to capture who God is, we can't fully see it. The Bible teaches us that our eyes are closed and the eyes of our hearts are closed off to the true nature of who God is, making it fully impossible to live the purpose that he created us for and to have meaning the way God created us to have meaning. That's why apart from God, life can be one of the most confusing things that we ever try to make sense of of answering those questions. Why am I here? What am I doing here? What's the purpose of my life? And it's why so many of us have such emotional imbalance in our lives and spiritual imbalance in our lives is because 
You know, we could try all this stuff. We could read our Bibles. We could go to church. We could do what we're supposed to do. But without having a real, genuine relationship with God, all of that's impossible. All of that is just trying and trying and trying without ever possibly being able to see the full picture of what God originally intended. See, this was the realization back about 15 years ago when I first became a Christian that that opened up my eyes to something more than what I was seeing. Because I had a, a desire for meaning and purpose, which we all do, right? But did you ever think about that, why that is? Like if there's no God, if we don't have meaning, if there is no purpose in life, then why is it that every single one of us has a desire to find it? Where does it come from? It's not just culturally, every culture has this. I believe, and I think the scripture points to the answer of it coming from God. That even though sin broke the mirror, the original purpose that God had intended for is still there, which means all of us still search for it, all of us still want it. Most of us just look in the wrong places. We try to look from within, we try to look from, uh, from other sources in life, but we don't truly look to where God wants us to and where he showed us to. There's a story of an old, it's an old parable, not in the Bible, but an old ancient parable of this king. And his king was a ruler of this whole country, and he was powerful, rich, you name it. He was great looking, had everything in the world, but he didn't actually have a wife. There was no queen. It was just him and his servants and some of the other people. And so um, he was sort of, you know, going throughout his life without anyone else. And, and what he would do is he'd go out to his, like, a balcony in his, in his, in his palace and he'd overlook his kingdom, and he would just watch everything, and he could see different things. And, and down below, there was a market, you know, a typical market in an ancient world where people would go and sell goods and, and food and different things that people made. And so he'd watch people all the time. And, and one day he was watching, and he saw this woman. And, and immediately he thought this was the most incredibly beautiful woman he'd ever seen in his life. He was just amazed and in awe with how gorgeous she was, how, how she led her life, how friendly she was, how bubbly she was, and he, he just absolutely was head over heels for this woman. And so he stayed up on the, this balcony. He didn't go down to meet her, and he just watched her. And he watched her as she interacted with other people, and, and eventually she packed her bags and she left. And so he went back in, and he had this idea the next day that he was going to wake up, and he was going to try to find the same person, the same woman again, because he wanted to see if she was a regular, or maybe she was just coming by. And so he found her, he came out, and he saw her, and again, he was amazed by how beautiful and gorgeous she was. And so what ended up happening is day after day, week after week, the king would go out at the same time every single day, and he would look down onto the market and find this woman that he was so obsessed with and so in love with in love with, but she had no idea. She didn't know that he was looking. She didn't know who he was. And so one day, one of the king's servants looked at the king and says, why don't you just go down there, introduce yourself, and take her up as your wife? You're the king. You can do whatever you want. And he said, I can't. And again, the servant's like, what do you mean you can't? There's nothing you can't do. You rule everything. You can do whatever you want. And the king said, that's the problem. The problem is, is that if I went down there and I introduced myself to this woman she would be legally obligated to, to come take, be taken as my wife. And so the king said, there was no possible way that I could ever go down there and truly under, and meet this woman and truly understand whether she loved me because she actually loved me or loved me just because she was forced to love me. And so the king would just keep watching this woman every single day and, and watching her, her interact again with the people and just, again, be amazed with who she was. 
And then one day the king came up with a plan. Is that he was going to stop uh, shaving and stop doing the things that kings do, like bathing. And, and some of the people were starting to get a little worried. They're like, what's wrong with this guy? Like, he's going through some depression. Like, we need to get some help here. And the king says, no, I've got a plan. And so after a couple of weeks of just kind of letting himself go, instead of waking up one morning and putting on his crown and putting on his robe and doing all the things that kings do before they get up and ready for the day, he, he dressed up like a normal peasant that would be unrecognizable to the people. And before he left to go down to this woman, he told his people, he said, this is the only possible way that I could ever know whether or not this woman loves me for me or loves me because she has to love me. The Bible teaches us that God loved each one of us so much that that's exactly what he did for each and every one of us. The Bible teaches us that God sent his son into this world and he looked nothing like a king, nothing like God. As a matter of fact, in the book of Isaiah, the Bible says that we wouldn't even be able to recognize him if we walked by him on the street. He literally became one of us because he loved us so much that he wanted to restore the brokenness that sin caused, not just because he wanted to, but because he knew he had to. If if we wanted to find meaning and purpose and joy in life, if we wanted to live everlasting life with him, then he needed to become one of us and pay the penalty for the sin that broke everything. The Bible says this in 1 John chapter 4, verse 9 and 10. It says, this is how God showed his love amongst us, that he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him, and that this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The, the reality is, is that God cares about your meaning and your purpose in life. God gave you purpose and meaning in your life, and God cares that you find it. So much so that he proved it by sending his son to this world to die for each one of us, that if we get into a relationship with him and accept that sacrifice of what he did, the Bible teaches us that the broken mirror and the broken meaning and purpose could be made whole again. It's our choice to make. He's not going to force us to do it. He's not going to make us love him or be in a relationship with him. It's got to come from within. It's got to be our own choice, just like it was in that parable, because we love him and because we trust him and because we know that God created us with a specific purpose and meaning in mind. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for for everything you do for us. God, thank you for giving us purpose. Thank you for instilling in each one of us, even though some of us in this room and watching online aren't Christians, that purpose and that meaning is still somewhere within us waiting to be unlocked. But God, only through a relationship with your son Jesus is it possible. God, affirming and believing that you're not just a God up in heaven who's uninterested with us, but you're a God who's extremely personal who did things like you formed us in our mother's wombs. You created and and formed and, and planned out our lives before we even took a step. And God, by doing all of the things you've done by dying on a cross, you restore the meaning and purpose in our lives. And you make it possible to know and to understand that we're loved and that we matter. God, help us to really truly believe that 
And help us to use that, use the faith that you give us as a source to find meaning, purpose, and emotional and spiritual balance in our lives. God, we love you so much. And we ask that you bless today and bless our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, hey, thank you so much for being here. Again, I know Mother's Day is a big day, so uh, you know, I hope you feel appreciated today and, and you get to do some great things. Women, hope you get to relax. Uh, but if you want to go ahead and fill out, keep filling out that connection card, you can do that on the Church Center app. Uh, if there's anything you need, please let us know. Prayer request, anything you want to get involved in, let us know so we can help you out. Uh, but I hope you have a great rest of your Sunday and hope to see you back next week. Thank you.